Hello and welcome back to Aminder. My name is Jacques, and in this episode I'll be going through September 2020's papers on amyloid beta-mediated toxicity in Alzheimer's disease. There's such a mix of subject topics in this episode, something is bound to catch your attention, so stay tuned. Segmenting this episode was tough, but I've divided it into three sections. First, we'll run through amyloid beta oligomers and structure toxicity relationships. Next, we'll move through the effects of amyloid beta on membranes and vesicular trafficking. And finally, we'll end with memory loss and synapse-related changes. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. So, 13 papers in this episode. It's a bit of a long one. We'll have a break after the first six papers on amyloid oligomer structure, followed by four papers on vesicular trafficking and the last three on synapse-related changes. As always, if anything catches your attention, check out our bibliography for more details. Don't worry if you forget the paper's details; just try and remember the number. The first paper is on the protein clofo. It's titled "Alignment of Alzheimer's Disease Amyloid Beta Peptide and Clofo," and it's written by first author Lehrer and last author Reinstein. The paper is published in the World Ac- Academy of Science journal. The amyloid cascade hypothesis proposed a pathological role for amyloid beta in Alzheimer's disease, but as treatments targeting amyloid beta have failed, opinions have shifted towards a more protective role for amyloid beta. The authors draw on links between the APOE4 allele, strongly associated with Alzheimer's disease, the clofogene KL, implicated in aging, and FGF21, a growth hormone secreted by the liver. FGF21 complexes with its cognate FGFR1 receptor and the co-receptor beta-clofo. Research suggests a protective role for FGF21 in delaying Alzheimer's disease onset. The authors aim to establish whether amyloid beta interacts with the beta-clofo protein. They examine the structures of amyloid beta and beta-clofo available in the RCSB protein databank, visualize the alignment of these two proteins on pyrimole. And further evaluated conservation and alignment using the blast-like alignment tool. They found that beta-clofo amino acid residues phenylalanine 76 through to valine 96 aligned well with amyloid beta residues aspartate 7 through to asparagine 27. Clofo sequence was highly conserved between humans and non-human primates, far greater than other mammals and more distant species such as zebrafish. The close alignment of clofo and the amyloid beta sequences may suggest that amyloid beta enhances clofo-mediated FGF21 recruitment to the affected areas early in AD, but this mechanism may be overwhelmed due to amyloid beta accumulation in response to age, infection, and/or inflammation. Okay, paper two. It reads: Amyloid beta 5x peptides. N-terminal truncation yields tunable copper two complexes by first author Wesenfeld and last author Bau. It's published in Inorganic Chemistry. Inhibitors of amyloid beta processing increases the levels of truncated amyloid beta 5x species, x being 38, 40, or 42. 
These species contain an N-terminal arginine histidine metal binding site, offering three nitrogens to chelate metal ions. Chelating structures like this typically bind copper to ions, so the authors explored the copper binding ability of these truncated amyloid beta peptides, namely AB59, AB512, AB512 with the tyrosine 10 phenylalanine mutation, and AB516. Using circular dichroism, UV visible spectroscopies, and potentiometry, the authors revealed that amyloid beta 59 and amyloid beta 512 possess picomolar affinity for copper 2 ions at physiological pH. The affinity for copper 2 is threefold high in amyloid beta 516 due to the fourth coordination site occupied by the imidazole nitrogen of histidines 13 to 14. The affinity of amyloid beta 5,9 and 5,12 could be increased by an external imidazole, which offers a fourth coordination site. The authors found that amyloid beta 5x copper complex formation controls the redox states of copper ions. The authors conclude that increased copper binding ability of ABX5 peptides over other amyloid beta peptides suggest a pathological role in impaired copper homeostasis in Alzheimer's disease brains. I've had to simplify this abstract to suit the podcast format, so I'm not sure if I've done it any justice, so definitely check out the full version. On to paper number three. Internalization and toxicity of amyloid beta 142 are influenced by its conformation and assembly state rather than size. The first author is Fadikul and the last author is Marshall. It's published in the Federation of European Biochemical Societies Letters. Alzheimer's disease plaques contain amyloid beta fibrils, but research suggests that amyloid beta oligomers underlie Alzheimer's disease-associated neurodegeneration. The authors aim to characterize the neurotoxicity and internalization propensity of different amyloid beta-42 assemblies. They found that amyloid beta-42 oligomers were cytotoxic and were readily uptaken into hippocampal neurons. On the other hand, amyloid beta-42 fibrils were internalized less and possessed no inherent toxicity. Interestingly, when fibrils were sonicated to produce amyloid beta assemblies of oligomer-like size, these sonicated assemblies retained their non-toxic fibril-like state. The results indicate that toxicity is not linked to amyloid beta-42 assembly size, hinting that amyloid beta-42 oligomers possess unique biochemical properties that underpin their toxicity. The authors also show that neurons cannot recover from incubation with amyloid beta-42 oligomers for 24 hours, a threshold for significant cytotoxicity. This is a really cool little paper, and the abstract doesn't quite capture all the details, such as the source of the toxic amyloid beta oligomers. This paper does raise a number of questions, so make sure not to miss it and read the full paper online. And now, paper 4, titled Familial Alzheimer's Disease Mutations at Position 22 of the Amyloid Beta Peptide Sequence Differentially Affect Synapse Loss, Tau Phosphorylation, and Neuronal Cell Death in an Ex Vivo System. It's by first author Tackenberg and last author Nish, and it's published in PLOS One. Amyloidogenic cleavage of the amyloid precursor protein gives rise to amyloid beta peptides, the main components of Alzheimer's disease plaques. Mutations in the APP gene are causative of familial Alzheimer's disease, and APP position E693 has been identified as a hotspot for these mutations. 
Two such Alzheimer's disease mutations are the Osaka mutation, a deletion of ABP residue glutamate 693, which results in a deletion at position E22 of the amyloid beta sequence, and the Arctic mutation, a substitution at this same glutamate position for glycine. AD patients with the Osaka mutation display a low amyloid beta burden on PET scans, but controversy surrounded the aggregation propensity of these E22 amyloid beta mutants. The authors examined the toxicity and aggregation potential for the Arctic and Osaka amyloid beta mutants derived from transgenic mice hippocampi. They also assessed the toxicity and aggregation of these amyloid beta 40 and 42 mutants by adding them to wild-type mice hippocampal slices. Wild-type and arctic mutant amyloid beta induce dendritic spine loss, the phosphorylation of tau protein, and tau-mediated neurodegeneration. The longer 42 amino acid peptides of both the wild-type and arctic amyloid beta mutants exerted more potent toxicity. The Osaka E22 deletion mutant peptides exerted none of these toxic effects, suggesting a distinct Alzheimer's disease mechanism for Osaka mutants. And now, paper 5. It's titled, Time-Dependent Lipid Dynamics, Organization, and Peptide-Lipid Interaction in Phospholipid Bilayers with Incorporated Beta-Amyloid Oligomers. It's by first authored Kiang and last authored Tobin Miyagi, available at the Journal of Physical Chemistry Letters. Amyloid beta oligomers are thought to be key neurotoxic species in Alzheimer's disease and have the ability to disrupt membranes. Amyloid beta 40 oligomers can insert themselves into membranes, co-aggregating with phospholipids to disrupt these membranes. However, the mechanism underpinning this is uncertain. Using solid-state NMR spectroscopy, the authors examine changes in lipid interaction and dynamics over time when exposed to AB40 oligomers. They found that intermediate states may exist in which phospholipids hydrogen bond with amyloid beta oligomer cores. A clearer understanding of the underlying process would provide great insight into amyloid beta-mediated toxicity. And without sounding like a broken record at this point, there are some methodological details omitted in this abstract, so for the full experience, you know what to do. Give the full paper a read. Okay. We're on to paper six, the last paper before this section ends and the intermission begins. The paper is titled High Force AFM and Nano-Infrared Spectroscopy Inter- Investigation of Amyloid Beta-142 Peptide Variants and Their Interaction with POPC SML Col GM1 Model Membranes. It's by first author Fuyi and last author Molinari. It's published in Frontiers in Molecular Biosciences. The amyloid beta peptides comprising Alzheimer's disease plaques are hypothesized to cause cognitive impairment and memory deficits in Alzheimer's disease, but the mechanisms behind this are unclear. The authors employ atomic force microscopy and provide nanoscopic accuracy into the relationships between amyloid beta structure, oligomerization, plaque formation, and membrane interaction. They use synthetic amyloid beta-142 mutants, leucine-34-threonine, glycine-37-cysteine, which differ greatly in reported aggregation potential and toxicity, and explored their interaction with model lipid membranes. They found that small, antiparallel beta-sheet oligomers strongly interact and disrupt membranes during the incipient stages of aggregation. 
The authors propose that blocking the interaction of toxic oligomers with membranes may prevent amyloid beta-mediated toxicity. If you're interested in amyloid beta mutants, fibrillization kinetics, and or fibril morphology, check out the full thing. And yeah, we're going to have a little break here, so take a moment to relax, reflect, and refresh. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back. We're going to crack on with our next four papers on vesicular trafficking, endocytosis, and propagation, following on nicely from those papers we heard about amyloid beta membrane interaction before the break. Paper 7, first of the four, is titled Affected Albumin Endocytosis as a New Neurotoxicity Mechanism of Amyloid Beta. It's by first author Rascado and last author Jimenez. It's published in Ames Neuroscience. The production of reactive oxygen species is the main pathological mechanism associated with the Alzheimer's disease amyloid beta 25 to 35 peptide. Its toxicity can be abrogated by albumin, which seems to block amyloid beta internalization. However, a few questions remain unanswered. How exactly is albumin protective? Is it linked to endocytic processes? If so, how might amyloid beta affect this process? The authors set out to address these questions. They capitalize on soybean lectin's ability to impair albumin endocytosis so they could investigate amyloid beta 25 to 35 toxicity in the presence and absence of albumin. Amyloid beta mediated toxicity was unchanged by lectin, but lectin did increase neuronal survival. Lectin also had no effect on the increased amyloid beta internalization seen in the absence of albumin endocytosis. Amyloid beta induced albumin internalization, but the resulting late endosomes did not, however, transport to the lysosome for degradation, suggesting alterations in vesicular trafficking or albumin structure. The authors propose a protective role of extracellular amyloid beta albumin complexes and a toxic role for intraneuronal albumin above a certain threshold. Our eighth paper looks at the other end of the spectrum, anterograde vesicular trafficking. It's titled, Amyloid Beta Regulates ER Exit Site Formation Through O-Linked N-Acetylglucosaminylation Triggered by Disrupted Calcium Homeostasis. It's written by first author Cho and last author Mukjung, and it's published in the journal Biology of the Cell. Calcium dyshomeostasis plays an important role in AD pathogenesis. Calcium is essential for vesicular trafficking and membrane fusion. COP2 vesicle formation at endoplasmic reticulum exit sites, or ERES, is controlled by the O-linked N-acetylglucosaminylation of the coat protein SEC31A. If you don't know, O-linked N-acetylglucosaminylation is a dynamic post-translational glycosylation where N-acetylglucosamine is added by its transferase OGT and can be removed by its hydrolase OGA. It's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll refer to O-linked N-acetylglucosaminylation as O-linked glycosylation from now on. The authors report that increased calcium levels decrease COP2 vesicle formation by altering SEC31A's O-linked glycosylation. In neuron-like cells, amyloid beta-prevented 
ER exit site formation by disrupting calcium homeostasis and SEC31A O-linked glycosylation. Amyloid beta-induced Golgi fragmentation, which could be rescued by upregulating O-linked glycosylation using OGA inhibitors. The authors conclude that amyloid beta can disrupt calcium homeostasis to alter N-acetylglucosamine-dependent SEC31A targeting to the errors. Hmm, I wonder if there's more to grasp about the effects of amyloid beta on the Golgi. Sorry, that was a bad pun. I should have copped out of that one. In all serious though, I do love vesicular trafficking, so if this is your area of research, shoot me a message on Twitter with some paper recommendations. That's at Jacques Fur, F-E-R-R, UK. Anyway, on to paper 9, titled Nanoelectrical Characterization of Individual Exosomes Secreted by Amyloid Beta-42 Ingested Cells Using Electrostatic Force Microscopy. It's by first author Choi and last author Yoon and it's available in the journal Nanotechnology. Amyloid beta-42 containing exosomes are associated with the propagation of pathology in Alzheimer's disease. However, it's unclear how the concentration of amyloid beta-42 within exosomes changes their physical properties. To address this, the authors analyze exosomes derived from neuroblastoma cells via electrostatic force microscopy. They found that higher concentrations of amyloid beta-42 within the media-fed to cells resulted in increased amyloid beta-42 uptake into exosomes and elevated exosome surface charge. This suggests that amyloid beta-42 is transported by these exosomes. The authors conclude that electrostatic force microscopy can be used to discern the role of exosomes in disease propagation and that physical properties of exosomes may be useful for early disease diagnosis. Paper 10, last in this mini-section on vesicular trafficking and propagation. It's titled, Novel Amyloid Beta Pathology C. elegans Model Reveals Distinct Neurons as Seeds of Pathogenicity. It's by first author Gaurian and last author Kirstein. You can find it in the journal Progress in Neurobiology. Accumulation of tau and amyloid beta-42 peptides predates Alzheimer's disease symptoms. Modeling amyloid beta assembly in vivo is challenging due to its short 42 amino acid residue sequence. The authors use substoichiometric labeling of amyloid beta-142 and C. elegans to track peptide assembly when compared to native, unlabeled amyloid beta-142. They found that amyloid beta-142 expression is neurotoxic and is propagated to other tissues. Fluorescence lifetime imaging microscopy showed that the pattern of fibril aggregation associates closely with age. Amyloid beta aggregation originated in the 6 IL-2 sensory neurons of the nematode worm's head. Silencing amyloid beta in these IL-2 neurons slowed amyloid beta aggregation and disease pathogenesis. Okay, the next mini-section, which focuses in on neuron loss, memory impairment, and synaptic alterations. We'll start with paper 11, a paper which distinguishes Alzheimer's disease from age-related cognitive decline. It's titled, Neuron Loss Associated with Age but Not Alzheimer's Disease Pathology in the Chimpanzee Brain, by first author Edler and last author Raghanti. It's published in Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society B, Biological Sciences. Neuron loss, mild cognitive dysfunction, neuroinflammation, 
an accumulation of amyloid beta and tau occur naturally with age. However, age-associated diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease, show far more pronounced atrophy, neurodegeneration, pathology, neuroinflammation, and cognitive decline. Recent studies found amyloid beta and tau pathologies in non-human primate brains, challenging our perception that neurodegenerative diseases affect only humans. The authors investigated the contribution of age in the observed pathology seen post-mortem in the brains of 28 chimpanzees aged 12 to 62 years old. They characterized the changing densities of neurons and glia in different regions of the prefrontal and temporal cortices and the hippocampus. They found that neuron loss occurred with age in the CA1 and CA3 hippocampal regions, but no association was detected between glia and neuron density with AD pathology. The authors conclude that chimpanzees do display pattern neuronal loss with age, but this is distinct from the widespread neurodegeneration seen in Alzheimer's disease. This will enable us to better develop animal models for studying AD pathology and amyloid beta-mediated toxicity. Paper 12, our penultimate paper, is titled Potential Mechanism of Cellular Uptake of the Excitotoxin Quinolinic Acid in Primary Human Neurons. First author, Brady, last author, Guillemin, is published in Molecular Neurobiology. Quinolinic acid accumulates in the neurons of Alzheimer's disease brains. If you don't know quinolinic acid, or quin as I'll call it, it's an NMDA receptor agonist and modulator, and is considered a potent excitotoxin. It's also released by immune cells during inflammation. Quin may also control glutamate uptake into neurons by interacting with the sodium-dependent excitatory amino acid transporters, or EAATs. At present, both the mechanism of quin uptake and the resulting effects on glutamate homeostasis are uncertain. The authors used liquid scintillation to investigate the effects of radioactive 3H quin uptake into primary neurons and also quantify the interaction of primary neurons, EAATs, in response to quin and EAAT inhibitors. Immunohistochemistry was used to determine the intracellular destination of exogenous quin inside the primary neurons. They observed high affinity active transport of quin into neurons, with uptake kinetics similar to that of glutamate. Quin upregulated the expression of EAAT1B and the EAAT3 monomer, but downregulated the expression of the EAAT3 trimer. Quin depended on EAAT3 for uptake, as the inhibition of EAAT significantly reduced its uptake. Quin is also found to be processed within lysosomes. The authors conclude that quin-dependent glutamate dishomeostasis may revolve around EAT1B, and that modulation of its uptake via EAT3 may prevent quin-dependent excitotoxicity in Alzheimer's disease and other neuroinflammatory diseases. Our last paper is paper 13, and it's titled Amyloid Beta Peptide AB142 Reverses the Cholinergic Control of Monocytic Interleukin-1-Beta Release first author Richter, and last author Hector, published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. The Alzheimer's disease-associated peptide, amyloid beta-42, can stimulate interleukin-1-beta, or IL-1b, release from immune cells. Amyloid beta-42 interacts with A7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, but the systematic consequences of amyloid beta-42 on cholinergic signaling are poorly understood. 
The authors have previously showed that agonists against the A7, A9 and or A10 containing nicotinic acetylcholine receptors can regulate interleukin-1-beta secretion. In this paper, they explore whether amyloid beta-42 affects cholinergic regulation. They stimulated lipopolysaccharide-primed monocytic U937 cells and human mononuclear leukocytes with a P2X7 receptor agonist to assess the effects of amyloid beta-42 and nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonists. If you don't know, P2X7 receptor signaling triggers interleukin-1-beta maturation and release. They found that nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonists inhibited interleukin-1-beta release which could be abrogated by exposure to amyloid beta-142. The authors conclude that amyloid beta-142 facilitates interleukin-1-beta release despite inhibition by nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonists, a new element to Alzheimer's disease-related inflammation. Well, that's all folks, it was a bit of a long one, but thanks for tuning in. I hope you found it useful, and remember, if anything caught your attention, our numbered bibliography awaits you. You can access it by signing up to our mailing list. For more details, please check out the episode notes after listening. We've been quite active on social media, so check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Quick shout out to Anusha Kamesh for the music on this podcast episode. You can find her on SoundCloud under her name or on YouTube under AK Music. Also, thank you Sarah for editing this episode and to the rest of the people at Aminder who volunteer their time to make this podcast possible. We hope to have you back here soon. Until next time.